Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Jessica Sato. She is the founder and CEO of Jessica Sato Consulting. She is also a TEDx speaker coach. How are you doing today, Jessica? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story, your journey with us here today. I appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate you being here. And as a member of the Empowerography community, welcome and thank you. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Jessica, as I mentioned, you are the founder and CEO of Jessica Sato Consulting. You are a TEDx speaker director, a TEDx speaking coach, and a huge advocate for women's empowerment. How long ago did you found Jessica Sato Consulting? So I founded what is now Jessica Sato Consulting. It's gone through a name change uh, back in 2012. And that came about right after, probably a year or so after I left the corporate world. Mm -hmm. And so what were you doing then in the corporate world before you made the jump to entrepreneurship? I had sort of two roles. The first half of my career, I was doing facilitation for the U.S. government mm-hmm. and really helping particularly the, the Department of Defense figure out, you know, what were the future needs for American warfighters. And then the back half of my career, I found myself doing leadership development at this company's big leadership development center and did a lot of work with people who were thinking about transitioning into management all the way up to the senior most executive levels of the company, really helping them figure out strategy, figuring out, you know, how to be better leaders, customer service, strategy, you know, all of the the traditional things that you would think of in a leadership development kind of environment. That's the kind of work I was doing, mentoring, coaching, that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. And so what inspired the jump into the entrepreneurial world? You know, it's funny you asked that. I was thinking about this the other day. If you would have asked me back in the day, you know, after I graduated from college and, you know, got to work in the corporate world, if I ever really aspired to be an entrepreneur, I would definitely have said no, <laughs> which I think is probably common for a lot of people Yeah, sort of fall into it sometimes. But it was at a time where... We lived in a different state here in the U.S. and didn't have any family nearby. And my husband was traveling all the time for work. I was in the classroom all the time for work. We had two tiny kids. And I woke up one morning and thought, this cannot be what our life is going to be for the next 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, we had zero bandwidth, no flexibility. You know, if there were things that came out of the blue, there was no room 
to yeah. deal with them or it just created a lot of upheaval. And I just kept thinking it cannot be like this. <laughs> like I do not want to live my life like this. And then there was a, a particular incident that even now I just cannot believe I found myself in this situation where my husband was in Mexico doing work and I had a class to teach and both of my kids came down sick. And like I said, we didn't have any family and yeah. all of our friends had young kids. So it wasn't like I could call someone up and say, Hey, could you come take care of my kids? I've got this class to teach. Yeah. And at the time, I want to say my son was maybe in second or third grade okay. and my daughter was maybe in kindergarten. And I was really stressed about what I was going to do because I was the only person who could teach this course. And we had people coming in from all over the world for oh, this class. So there was like zero opportunity to cancel. I mean, I just, it was unfathomable. And so I ended up going to these crazy lengths to try to get my kids taken care of and be able to do this class. And that situation really opened my eyes to the need for more flexibility, more control over my own time. And there was just no way I could get that. And so my husband and I sat down, we talked through, you know, all the logistics, the finances, the, you know, what's our life going to look like if we do this and decided that it made more sense for me to look at maybe going into a consulting role, doing the right. same kind of work. But even then I still wasn't super focused on yeah. the whole entrepreneurial angle, but I, uh, all I knew is I had to get more bandwidth. I, and I just couldn't do that in the role that I was in. And so I, you know, built up an exit strategy and yeah. partnered with the company because I was in a big leadership role at the time and made my way out. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't say that I've ever looked back either. <laughs> and so how did you find that transition? How was it for you from corporate life into entrepreneurship? You know, it was a bit jarring. I had, like I said, I'd never anticipated doing anything but corporate work, right? Yeah. I mean, I, like a lot of people, I followed the path, you know, went to college, got married, had the corporate job, climbed the ladder. And so to be all of a sudden without the structure and the, you know, predictability, I really struggled. And I also had never really envisioned myself as sort of a stay-at-home mom either. And so I found myself in this very new territory where I was uncomfortable and it was a great space for growth. And I figured out my own systems, my own structures, and it gave me the freedom to think about what I really wanted to do with my time, right? I knew I didn't want to just be home. I think that's an amazing thing for a lot of people, but it wasn't right for me. And so that flexibility, that creative space opened the door for me to look at what it might be like to have my own consulting company or do something completely different from that. It's scary as hell making that jump when you first jump into entrepreneurship because you're sitting around thinking, okay, so first day I'm, I'm yep. on my own here. What the fuck do I do? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I've got all this time and I'm not used to having all this time because you're so used to structure. And on the other side of it too, is you are responsible for you. No one's there telling you, okay, we need you to do this today. We need you to, if you don't do anything, you're not bringing in money. The business is not growing. It's not, you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. a lot to deal with at first, but I think once you get into it and get comfortable with it, I would never, I could, I don't think I could ever go back to working for someone. But again, on the other side of that too, on the flip side of that entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for me, I felt like there was this big identity crisis of like, who am I now without all of this? And like you said, 
once you kind of settle in, you start to really appreciate all the things that come with entrepreneurship, but it's hard, right? And and I agree with you. You know, one of the things I really feel strongly about is helping people figure out if entrepreneurship is even right for them, right? Because there is this big movement, I think globally, where everybody is drawn to the idea of entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. Like life, you know, it's romanticized. Yeah, it's totally romanticized. And, you know, I know it is freaking hard to be an entrepreneur, (laughs) to have everything resting on your own shoulders and being consistent, you know, and all of that. And so one of the things I really feel strongly about is helping people before they make the leap into entrepreneurship, or even if they already have giving them the space to figure out is entrepreneurship actually right for me? Because truth is it may not be, and that's okay. Yep. It is. It is. The world needs ditch diggers, but you know, it's scary and all the rest. The point being is that I think, as we mentioned, it's so romanticized. I think we, we as entrepreneurs, it's our responsibility to educate people and talk about the other side of it because it's not all puppy dogs and rainbows and ice cream. It's hard. It's struggle. The struggle is real. And I think we as entrepreneurs, it's our responsibility to talk about that other side of it and share the downside. Not, I don't want to say the downside. That's the wrong word to use, but share the others for lack of a better term, the other side of things to let people know that, you know what, it's not all this up here. There's also this side of it, you know? Yeah. Well, just the reality of, you know, how vulnerable and it can be lonely, lonely, all of that, you know, those are the pieces, like you said, no one's really talking about and you don't realize until you get in. Yes especially if you're a solopreneur, right? It's a little different if you are a small business owner with employees, but even then the weight of that responsibility sits on your shoulders and, you know, the pressure to take consistent action, to have to navigate some of the, well, we'll just say all of the online space and the noise that's out there, right? Those are the things that I think we lose sight of when we get super fixated on, oh, this is my big idea. I want to, I want to make the leap into it. So you're right. You know, we do have a responsibility to really help paint a true picture of what entrepreneurship is. And then, you know, have people make an educated decision about whether that's for them or not. Absolutely. So keeping on this track, you didn't immediately jump into the world of coaching when you left entrepreneurship. Your first entrepreneurial journey was something completely different. (laughs) Can you speak to us a little bit about that first venture? Yeah. So like I said, when I came out of corporate, you know, part of it was I was burned out. I was really excited about having the downtime. And I had had this cookie and cupcake baking hobby for a long time. And I had sort of dabbled in having a business around that. Right. And at the time, the state I was in had, you know, very favorable laws about, you know, being able to do that in your home. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it. Everybody's always saying, you know, you love making cookies and cupcakes. You should totally make this a business, right? This is like the thing that, you know, if you love it, make it a business. Yeah. So I did that when Cookie Met Cupcake was the name of this business. And I did that for about three and a half years. Okay. And I loved it. I loved the creativeness of it, but I realized toward the end that it really wasn't where my heart was. I was great at making cookies and cupcakes. In fact, (laughs) I made some this morning, but that's not where I felt like my highest and best use 
was and an opportunity presented itself so that I could kind of go back into this consulting space. And I thought it's going to be a better fit because my heart has always been in growth and development, whether that's from a leadership perspective, whether that's from a strategic perspective, you know, helping business owners, all of that sort of fit, fit under that bubble. And so I ended up sort of keeping the cookie and cupcake business for a while, but then let it go completely. And now I just do it for fun. And, you know, one of the things I learned from that is just because you love it doesn't mean it's a good business. Well, that's another piece of the entrepreneurial puzzle, I think, is that we have to be malleable, adaptable as entrepreneurs and realize that sometimes things are just, you're just going to have to shift as COVID has shown us as, I mean, I started out, I still have the business as a photographer, but I've kind of shifted into podcasting and podcast editing and podcast coaching. And you have to learn that that's going to be a natural, I think, progression in your journey as an entrepreneur is that you have to be adaptable for sure. Yeah, for sure. So what was the inspiration behind starting Jessica Sato Consulting? You know, this is sort of funny because it's the opposite of what I would ever tell someone, (laughs) but (laughs) I started that business because I needed a legal entity to do the consulting work. So I had been approached by my former company. Hey, can you come back and do some leadership development work for us, some coaching, et cetera. And like I said, you know, still in the process of having this cookie and cupcake business. So I hadn't really been super strategic in my own mind about what a consulting practice would even look like. Right. And so I quickly, you know, filed the legal forms, got the bank account, you know, got the business insurance and just got to work. And it wasn't until much later that I looked back and I thought, wow, that's one way <laughs> to start a business. But you know, it's not the most ideal in the sense that there was no real strategy, no real plan. I certainly wasn't doing any marketing. And I find that actually for a lot of people who are leaving the corporate world, they kind of fall into that bucket. And so then that, they end that's up what I backtrack, did. right? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I would never encourage people to take that path because like once you get, you know, five, six, in my case, it was like seven years before I started to realize that something wasn't quite right. Yeah. You have to do a lot of backtracking and relay the foundation. So yeah, I don't want to say it was unintentional, but it certainly wasn't intentional either. (laughs) So can you talk to us a little bit more about your consulting business? Tell us a bit more about what the mission is with the company. Yeah. So I am incredibly passionate about helping women really own their own voice in the entrepreneurial space. I really believe strongly that entrepreneurship affords women and really anyone, but I think particularly women, the opportunity to be strategic in building the sort of life and business that they actually want. And I know in my case, you know, it really came back to, I needed more freedom. I needed more flexibility. And truly, you know, after doing the cookie and cupcake piece, I needed more fulfillment in my life and stepping into that space and, you know, growing as an entrepreneur really helped shape who I am. It shaped how I showed up. And so, you know, one of the things I I care a lot about is helping women really utilize their voice And I know we'll talk about TEDx and all these pieces, they sort of all fit together here, but using your voice, right? That is the thing that sets you apart in a very busy, noisy, crowded online space. And so the work I do is really rooted in helping women develop strong business foundations, especially if they are in that transitional space of being in corporate, wanting to leave 
and trying to build a business. So really helping them lay healthy, strong business foundations so that they set themselves up for success. And then from there, building out the actual business. So identifying who they serve, what they offer, how they market themselves. How do you step into a place where you are fully visible and you know being okay with the discomfort of that visibility. And so, yeah, that's, you know, at the core, that's the work I do. And the other component of that is making sure that the work has impact beyond just the people I'm serving. So another component of my business is partnering with entrepreneurs globally, women in developing countries who are actively building their business against the odds, right? We have here in the Western world, obviously have our own obstacles and challenges, yeah. but they're a very different set of obstacles and challenges that than what someone in, you know, a developing country may face from a cultural, political, religious perspective. And so my heart is about helping our, you know, the women I'm working with connect and build relationships and mentorships that go both ways with women abroad. Love it. So- Back in 2017, you had a life-changing experience that helped you to shift mindset and way of thinking when it came to your business. And I'm sure that a lot of us entrepreneurs struggle with when we jump into the entrepreneurship world, as we've touched on briefly here and there throughout the interview. Can you share with us what that experience was and what the realization and awakening for you was around your way of thinking when it came to your business that happened as a result of that experience? Yeah. So this I think is where you'll start to see the pieces start to slot into place between like developing world, you know, being a more strategic thinking entrepreneur. So like I said, you know, when I left and started Jessica Sato Consulting, there wasn't a lot of intentionality behind it other than checking the boxes. So for, you know, five or six years, I was just trucking along, doing the work, you know, being a practitioner, which is yeah. not truly really being an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. And I found myself with a contract in Ethiopia, doing leadership development for a major company there alongside a handful of other people. And right before the final trip, I mean, the whole experience, by that point, I had been there maybe three, I had already been there three times in 2017. And right before the final trip, I got an email, literally, I just dropped my kids off from school was, you know, driving, I saw this thing, I was going home to finish packing, because I was leaving like less than 24 hours later. And this email pops up, and says, you know, this trip is canceled. And so here I am, you know, I had blocked out about two and a half, three weeks, actually, I think it was three weeks for this trip and really started trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do. Because as a consultant, right, if you don't have work, you don't get paid. And so this is three weeks for me, this was about $27,000. And I, I mean, I was spiraling. And you know, I was talking with my husband. He was like, don't you have a contract? Doesn't have a cancellation clause. So, you know, that's, that's number one, as a business owner, you would think you go immediately to the contract. I didn't, I was just spiraling and what the heck am I going to do? Yeah. So sure enough, had a cancellation clause. I was supposed to have two weeks notice. So then began the mind drama of, do I ask for it? And do I ask for all of it? And, you know, I had gone back and forth trying to figure out what was going to be the best approach. And finally got on the phone, was talking with the liaison and it just became clear that what I had been saying really wasn't landing. And I took a step back and I just said, you know, this is business. It's not personal. Yeah. And he said something that shifted everything for me. So you think that you should get paid for work that you did not do. And it was sort of this moment where 
I drew a line in the sand in my own mind. It was very clear. Like if, if I say, no, don't worry about it. We can just reschedule. I would always do that. Like it would, right. I would always be acquiescing. It was like this moment had taken on this life of its own. It became much bigger than just this contract. Yeah. And I just said, yes, I do think you should pay me because that's what's in the contract. And he goes, okay, I just needed to hear you ask for it. <laughs> wow. And so if you had resorted to your old way of thinking, he would have said, okay, fine. We won't pay you. Exactly. <laughs> no problem. And exactly. And, you know, I sort of call it, you know, it's like before the conversation and after the conversation, because after that conversation, it became abundantly clear to me that a, I rarely asked for what I wanted. Yeah. And I really wasn't thinking strategically. I was really mired down in approval and imposter syndrome and, you know, all the things that a lot of us are struggling with on the yeah. regular. And the more I talked with other entrepreneurs, the more it became clear that this was a big problem, especially mm -hmm. among women. And so fast forward, I really just leaned into shifting away from corporate leadership development work to helping entrepreneurs, particularly women. Yeah. And, you know, the bulk of the work started out as being around mindset, but it became clear to me that it's not just mindset, right? Mindset is a huge component, but yeah. it's not the only component because no. most of us did not go to school to learn how to be entrepreneurs. We learned That's how right. to do a craft, right? Yeah. So we need to help people build the business, give them the practical tools and strategies and the mindset. And so for the last four years, that's really where my heart has been, really helping women entrepreneurs build a path where they can be more strategic in the simplest way, yeah. streamlined operations and so on. Find their voice, which is yeah. the key piece, which you learned. What an incredible lesson for you to have learned and now to be able to share that story to help other women find their voice. I mean, that is incredible. Yeah. I mean, just even now, you know, like I said, four years later, there are still moments where I'm like, just ask for it. Just say <laughs> the thing that you actually want. Like, don't yeah. be around the bush. Just ask for it. I yep. mean, the worst they can say is no. That's right. Right? That's right. And it really has like kind of become this mantra, just ask for it. We as entrepreneurs, another lesson we need to learn is that we have to be able to accept no's. And no doesn't necessarily mean never. It just means no, not at this time. It doesn't fit at this time, right? Or maybe it's just not a good fit at all because another lesson as well is not everyone is going to be your client, period. Right. Not yeah. everyone is for you, but you will find your tribe. 100%, for sure. for sure. I love it. So how has that experience then helped shape the Jessica you are today, both personally and professionally, would you say? I definitely think it's given me more confidence and I don't know if I would have said this four years ago, but certainly today, you know, once I really leaned into focusing specifically on entrepreneurs, it pushed me into a place where I really needed to understand the entrepreneurial world better. So I would say, you know, I know how to help a person build a business. You know, I built a successful multi six figure business myself. Right. And I think you know, then the technical piece, it's just more confidence, more belief in myself. And like I said, asking for what I actually want. I think the other part too, is being comfortable, being uncomfortable, right? I mean, entrepreneurship is just uncomfortable. 
Like, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think I've woken up a day in the last four years where I felt comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, that means putting myself in places, you know, in rooms where maybe I'm not the smartest person mm-hmm. or where I have to really stretch and being okay with that. And I don't know that I would have been okay with that. Certainly wouldn't have been okay with it back in the corporate world. Right. Definitely wouldn't have been okay with it when I was, you know, newer in the entrepreneurial space. Yeah. And so I think that has been the biggest learning, you know, being comfortable, being uncomfortable and learning to use my voice to ask for what I want. Entrepreneurship definitely stretches you in ways that you never knew. And it shows you <laughs> muscles that you never even knew yeah. you had, right? We do yeah. have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, period. That's what entrepreneurship is all about. Yep, for sure. So you mentioned briefly that you partner with organizations globally to help empower female entrepreneurs. How do you go about doing that, getting those connections? And why is this so personally important to you? So... Well, let me start with why it's important to me. Mm -hmm. I grew up from ages 10 to 14 in Egypt and traveled all over, obviously did work in Ethiopia. I've done work in Russia. And as I said, you know, entrepreneurship really affords women the opportunity to strategically design their life in a way that allows them to do things that they might not otherwise do. So, you know, for, it depends on where you are, depends on, you know, sort of, the level of privilege you have. But when I look at some of the places I've lived, there are women who are struggling to provide educational opportunities for their kids. You know, sometimes it's even more, more basic than that, like food, clothing, shelter. And it's become very important to me to be a contributor in this space of really helping elevate women to a higher calling, a better life and to the extent that they can make it their own. And so in terms of partnerships, you know, it has taken a couple of different forms. Some of it is just completely financial, donating, you know, 3% of my profits to different organizations that are in alignment. And in other cases, it's, you know, partnering with venture capital funds that focus specifically on women entrepreneurs in developing countries. And that, you know, the relationships literally come from talking about it. Yeah. You talk with someone, that person connects you with someone else. And, you know, over time, you just slowly start to build these relationships. And I'll say this piece of my business is still very much in its infancy. I've given personally for years, but to allow my business to do more than just the work, but to have a broader impact is really important to me. And so I'm very much in the beginning stages of trying to build those relationships. And, you know, even at some point, I sort of envision having the opportunity to take a group of women here over to Africa, the Middle East, wherever, sort of boots on the ground approach where we're actually building real relationships with women on the ground there and using that as a two-way mentorship experience where we're helping, you know, fill gaps in their experience. We're learning about their experiences and then we're growing together. And I'm a huge believer that, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And when we elevate one another, all of us grow, all of us benefit. Community. You can't lose with community. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That is a beautiful vision. I love it. So keeping with this theme, I want to talk some more about women in entrepreneurship. Now, I come from a corporate background. And even now, I think that mindset of the old boys club from the 40s is still existent, which actually boggles my mind that in 2021, we're still dealing with that ridiculous way of thinking and that mindset where women still aren't getting equal pay for doing the same job as their male counterparts. And of course, if you look around at all these corporations, women, there's not enough women in the C-suite level positions within these big corporations, which is mind boggling in itself as well. Yeah, we're starting to see a bit of a shift, I think, where women are, I think, saying, you know what, if you're not going to respect me enough to give me my due or put me into the position that I so rightly deserve, fuck you, I'm leaving, I'm going to start my own business and I'll be my own CEO. And they're just getting fed up and stepping into that role as their own CEO. What are your thoughts on the landscape of entrepreneurship and women-run businesses? Well, you know, it's been interesting with COVID, right? You know, I can't remember the numbers right off the top of my head, but it's pretty significant, the exodus of people and women in particular walking away from corporate jobs. And I think, you know, pre-COVID, I think we would have eventually hit this point, but I think COVID really accelerated this. Yeah. Where people started to realize when they had a little bit more flexibility, right? You know, in terms of being able to be at home, not have to be in those commutes, et cetera, that maybe the life that they had sort of built for themselves really wasn't what they actually wanted anymore, or it wasn't serving them anymore. And so I do think women have realized more and more how important having that freedom and flexibility is. And to your point, if you work in a system that, structurally doesn't really support your growth and development, or certainly doesn't do it at a pace that it should be, or that you want it to be, you know, the incentive to walk away is high. Yeah. I think though, you know, the challenge is always comes back to, you know, your personal situation and Mm. do you have the means to do that? So do you have a partner who can, you know, help finance that process? I mean, it's not that you need a lot of money to get started, but you do need a buffer, right? Because it's not like you're going to make money immediately. So, so, you know, I find that there is a trend, definitely an upward trend of people leaving people wanting to start their businesses. And certainly that's true of women. And, you know, the numbers are also against us. I think that the stat is something like less than 10%. It may not even be that high women, you know, who'd never break the six figure mark in their business. I also heard that women were the hardest hit Mm -hmm. during COVID financially losing their jobs, all of it. Women were the hardest hit of everybody during the pandemic. Well, and that makes sense, right? Because women tend to be the primary caregiver. So, you know, and they're also underpaid. So if given the choice between a partner who is getting paid what they should be paid and you, and then the kids are now stuck at home and you have online school, right? Yeah. You can see the choices become very straightforward. So, you know, we're definitely in a period of entrepreneurial growth. The appeal is high. For sure. And not everyone will be successful. Yeah, very true. That's an important piece to mention, right? So how then do you think women can continue to break down these ridiculous barriers and mindsets and and ways of thinking and continue pushing through and achieving what they want in life and and being the entrepreneur that they want to be or that they deserve to be? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll say all of this with the caveat that in some cases, 
you know, your level of privilege enables more than another person's. Right. But I'm a, I'm a big believer, you know, because of my own experience about the importance of asking for what you want. And I do think in some cases, women are their own worst enemies, right? We rarely ask for what we want. We don't, you know, toot our own horn and really talk about our accomplishments. We, you know, look to other people for our value, as opposed to seeing that within ourselves. And I'm saying this in the context of, of work. Right. So, you know, for me, yes, there are institutional barriers, there are structural barriers, you know, despite all the policies for equality, et cetera, part of it's going to come down to women actually demanding those changes. And, you know, I read this interesting article a while back about how women leave over the course of a lifetime, about a million dollars on the table because we don't negotiate our salaries up front. So we start at a disadvantage and over time, it's almost impossible to close that gap. That gap, yeah, it keeps growing, yeah. right? Yeah, and so, you know, it really is gonna come down to us using our voice and fighting for the things that are important to us and to be relentless in the pursuit of that. And, you know, there are real barriers to doing that. And, for sure. and so we just you know, we'll continue to plot along. We are slowly closing the gap or at least making strides to do so, do so, but you know, the parity is lacking. Yeah, for sure. Now I like that you mentioned the word barrier because this is a great segue. What do you think is the most significant barrier to female leadership? Hmm, That's a good question. I mean, I was speaking with someone last week, a little bit about this topic and how we will never be able to change the mindset or the way of thinking of the corporate white old man America, right? That's you're not, no matter what, you are not going to be able to change that way of thinking. The only way that that is going to change is when they are filtered out and the new Mm -hmm. generation steps in. And that's where the way of thinking and and mindset changes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a good point. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, you can only do so much to to educate, to help make people aware. So I think, you know, part of it is us continuing to use our own voice and Mm -hmm. to speak up for what we want and, and how we want to see and envision, you know, the world for people behind us. And I do think that corporations themselves, and, you know, this, this comes back to your point, it's hard because, of who runs these corporations, the right? hierarchy. Yeah. I do think we are seeing some movement with big corporations in terms of actively bringing in people of color, more women, that sort of thing. So I do anticipate that we will see some change. And here's what I, you know, even as I'm saying this, I, one of the things that popped into my head is that sometimes the change will be forced upon you, right? True. You know, here in the U.S. last summer, we had this huge incident with Black Lives Matter and, yeah. and Floyd. And, and I think it's unfortunate that it sometimes takes moments like that to force a change in the structure. Now yeah. we're nowhere close to fixing this problem. Oh, in the US, no, not even near. It racism and that sort of thing. But I think, you know, we have these moments in time where we'll be able to look back and say, okay, that was a turning point. Yeah. We've increased, you know, black and brown voices on our boards. We've added more women, et cetera. And, you know, those changes take time to matriculate down 
into the business, but just by virtue of being there, you get a different perspective. And so I'm hopeful that we'll continue to see that evolution as more people who don't look like the norm, right? The, yeah. the old white man sitting in the boardroom. Yeah. That as we see less of that and more of what you know, our global populations actually look like, we'll start to get some real change. Well, this, some of the responsibility has got to be put on the companies, the corporations. Mm-hmm. It's it's there. A big part of it should be shouldered by them because it's they're setting the policies. So it's time to change the policies. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. So what advice, what is one piece of advice then you would give to women looking to grow either their own business or within the company they work for? Hmm. Well, let's let's take these two separately because for a woman who's looking to grow her own business, who is, you know, really at the beginning, Mm -hmm. I would really encourage her to think about what is it that she actually wants her life to look like. I'm a huge believer that, you know, we get trapped into these cycles where we build businesses that don't actually mesh with the life that we want. And so we end up working harder, more as entrepreneurs than we ever did when we were in corporate. So I always start with really think about what you want your life to look like, and then let's build the business to support that and getting clear on why you even want to do that. So that's, that's one thing that I would say to a woman entrepreneur. I would also say, you know, find a mentor, a coach, or someone, a group of people who can be with you in that journey. Because as we talked about at the beginning, it's very lonely and there's a lot of nonsense in the online space. So it's good to cut through the clutter. Yeah. For a woman who's still in the corporate world, in terms of growing, I would just say, ask for it, ask for the thing you want and be relentless in the pursuit of it you know, you don't have to be hostile or ugly or, you know, but women have a very unique feminine energy and we're constantly pulling on our, on our masculine energy, this demanding approach. And I don't think it has to be that way. And so, you know, ask for what you want in a way that suits you and feels in alignment with how you want to be. And I think it will serve you well. I love that. Great advice. So Being a women's empowerment advocate, what do you do to empower yourself and empower others? Mm. So in terms of empowering myself, well, I have a strong meditation practice Mm -hmm. where I really try to stay rooted in sort of the core of who I am. I'm constantly coming back to what is it that I want to create in the world and what's getting in my way and what do I need in order to get over that? So for me, sometimes that's you know, hiring my own coaches to tackle blocks around money, around mindset, around like actual business challenges. So for me, it's being willing to invest in things when I realize that I'm up against a wall and, or even hopefully (laughs) before that. And in terms of empowering others, I really take pride in the fact that I've cultivated a community of women who understand their value and their worth. And I'm constantly pouring into that. It's really important for me that every woman that I work with, that I hold the space for her to move at her own pace, to step into action in a way that is authentic and doesn't feel, you know, grimy and gross. And so, you know, some of that's just encouragement. Some of that's actual coaching, you know, some of that's just words of affirmation. 
but always encouraging women to use their voice to ask for the things they want to, you know, do the next best thing and not get stuck mired down in wanting everything to be perfect. And I say that for myself too, because I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> so I want to mention something there. You, you, you had mentioned about hiring coaches. So this is something I always think about for new entrepreneurs. What do you say to new entrepreneurs that are just starting their business that don't have the money to hire a coach? How yeah. are they supposed to get that help? That's such a great question because this is a, this is the space that I'm in. And mm -hmm. I do believe that there is a nice balance between being able to provide coaching and resources and expert guidance for people in that space. And it doesn't have to be 20, 30, $40,000, right? Yeah. And I would argue that for many, it's not even the right time right. to be spending that kind of money. You know, I don't want to say that new entrepreneurs don't have money. Because I do think sometimes, actually most of the time, coaching can help, you know, jumpstart you and leapfrog you forward faster right. Right. than, you know, trying to do it on your own. But I also realize that in working with within this space, that there are a lot of people who have been abused. There are a lot of bad coaches who are yeah. selling their thing for the purpose of making money, which, you know, we're all business owners, that that's yeah. the goal and operating out, you know, in a place where they are not acting with integrity, right? If you don't truly know that you can help someone, you should not be charging people for that. So, yeah. you know, for me, I always come back to, can I really help this person? Yeah. Do I have tools, strategies, you know, the processes to help a person do mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. and can I do it in a way that meets them where they are? So you know, it's not unheard of for me to apply for grants, right? to be able to supplement, you know, and partner with people who I, I believe in their work, but maybe they don't have the capital in order to do it. So I think there's always ways to figure things out. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that sometimes you just have to make the investment. Yeah. Figure it away. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Interesting. So keeping on this theme of empowerment, what does that word mean to you? Not to be cliche, but it really is feeling the power and the authority to use your voice fully. And, you know, I've really settled into this idea of voice. I mean, honestly, probably in the last couple of months, yeah. you know, I've always believed that your voice was important, but I've seen now the power of what happens when you lose your voice and what it's like to find it. And, you know, when I take a step back from this sort of like philosophicalness of that and really think about what that means from a business perspective, your voice is the differentiator, yeah. right? Yep. And so for me, really, when I think about empowerment, it is how can I use my voice fully in the spaces that matter? Beautifully said. I love that. This theme of voice throughout the whole podcast. I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> Jessica, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Well, the only word that I can use to describe it, I, I've tried to figure out a different word, but for me, the word is warmth. And I, I came on this, you know, probably, well, actually, while I was still in the corporate world, I found that I had this unique ability to connect easily with people and immediately help them disarm. And to be comfortable being, you know, somewhat vulnerable. Yeah. And I had to figure out how to do that because most of my classes were two, three, four day classes. So to help a person increase their leadership 
skills, you have to get to a place of vulnerability quickly. So, you know, that's one of the things that I think I'm very, very good at. And I think it helps from a coaching perspective. I think another thing that I'm very good at is streamlining systems. I'm married to a systems engineer (laughs) and we are obsessed with systems in our home. And I have a very, you know, easy approach to building systems and streamlining them. And it's really important for me to do that because I think, you know, when you think about entrepreneurs, a lot of times we're sort of like scrambling, duplicating things that don't need to be duplicated and there's no ease. And I really am about helping people simplify and streamline while being strategic. And so I would say getting to that place of warmth and vulnerability quickly and being able to look at something and figuring out how to make it more efficient quickly is, is probably my two superpowers. Speaking of success, what does that word mean to you? How do you define that word? This is a question that I always struggle with. (laughs) I feel like in some ways it changes over time, but for me, it really does come down to knowing that I'm making the kind of impact that I want in the world. And so whatever that happens to look like, right. In whatever area, like as a mom, I have two teenagers, you know, as a wife, you know, as a professional, as a member of this, of, of the community in which I live, right. Making the impact and knowing that it's bigger than myself. To me, that is what success is and doing that from a place that is authentic and, you know, and real. Yeah. Those are the pieces that are, that are important to me around that. Beautiful. Let's talk a little bit about your TEDx, yeah. your TEDx journey. So as mentioned, you are a TEDx speaker director. Can you talk to us a bit about your role as a speaker director and how that opportunity came about for you? Yeah. So I am the speaker director for TEDx Franklin. That's mm-hmm. in Tennessee, just mm-hmm. um, outside of Nashville. And I stumbled upon it. You know, I was in a a networking group with another woman who is the franchise owner for for TEDx Franklin. And I just reached out to congratulate her Mm -hmm. and said, you know, hey, I've been a speaker coach for the last two years. If there's anything I can do to help you, let me know. One thing led to another and now I'm the speaker director (laughs) as these things tend to happen. But, you know, it, it really came down to working as a speaker coach for the last two years in Breckenridge, Colorado, and understanding that the processes that we used in Breckenridge under a different speaker director really are unique in the TEDx world. So, you know, one of the things about TEDx is that every single event is different, which is part of the complexity of trying to become a TEDx speaker because the application processes, the events themselves, the themes, everything changes depending on where you are. Right. And the speaker coaching process is no different, but, and let me add one more thing. Everything with TEDx is also volunteer. So, you know, it's hard to find people who are willing to give up their time to coach other people for free. For sure. But I really love the process of helping, and this is going to come as no surprise, (laughs) helping a person really figure out what they want to say. Right. Find their voice. <laughs> use their voice. Um, you know, to find out what they want to say. What is the core message? You know, and TEDx is rooted around your big idea worth sharing. So, what is this big idea that's sitting inside you that you just have got to share? And helping a person really cultivate that message and yeah. prepare to actually stand on that stage to me is a real gift. And so, when she approached me with the opportunity to be the speaker director, I jumped on it because. If I can influence another group of speaker coaches to be 
leaning in in that way, I really want to. So, you know, the work that is required for that is really just sort of providing the buffer between the event organizers and the speakers. My goal is to make sure that the speakers are focused on one thing only, and that is to get their talk to the place that they want it to be when they step on that red carpet and to equip the speaker coaches with everything that they need in order to be successful in their coaching endeavor. So, you know, it's a lot of trial and error and figuring out what works and it all depends on the speakers and how much they, you know, support they need. But my goal is to hold the space for those coaches and for the speakers so that they can have the best talk that they, that they possibly can. Jessica, what would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? Hmm. I think, you know, you have to do the work. And, you know, I grew up in a pretty conservative religious home and therapy and what I would call a personal development work was not, it just wasn't the thing. Yeah. And that was also probably the time as well. But I have seen an immense amount of power in being willing to dig into your own life and figure out, you know, your old stories, your own, you know, the old narratives that are shaping how you show up in the world. And every time that I lean into that, dig a little deeper, uproot this like toxicness (laughs) inside myself, I feel like I'm a better person for it. Mm-hmm. And it allows me to serve my clients, my family, friends in, in a better way. And so I would say before, it, you know, actually, my first experience was in actual therapy. You know, I, I was struggling with the death of my dad, was very angry, you know, depressed, and I really resisted going to therapy. But once I did, it was so life changing and it really shifted something inside me. So, you know, for me, I would say that's, you know, back in the early 2000s. And, you know, before that, I was doing fine. <laughs> you know, I was doing fine. Yeah. But I wouldn't say I was living my best life. Right. And now I feel like I'm living my best life. And Tomorrow, it will be an even better life because I'm consistently willing to dig and figure out what's not working, what's holding me back to be as self-aware about my own behaviors, my own, you know, internal narratives that, you know, than I would have been before. So, you know, for me, it's the importance of doing the personal development work. Hard stuff. That's the stuff that people have so much trouble because you have to look within and pull up those deep, dark parts that we really don't want to look at. We've pushed them down for so long that dredging them up is, (laughs) is tough work for sure, but you can't progress if you don't. Right. Right. So I want to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions, just be three, two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. 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 How would you describe yourself in one word? Passionate. What was your dream job as a child? Teacher. What would your family and friends list as a couple of your best characteristics? Honest, warm, honest, warm, and I would say heartfelt. What is one of your favorite entrepreneurial books? Mm, Gosh, you're really, that's a hard one. (laughs) I'll say the one that I think was most impactful to me was The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. If you could teach the world one thing. What would you want to teach them? Ask for it. <laughs> Use your voice. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing you want, but cannot buy with money? Mm, one thing you want, but cannot buy with money. Freedom. 
if choices. You could ch- if you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Mm, more compassion and empathy for one another. The last book or podcast I listened to or read was? Mm, the Culture Map was a book I just read. Okay. Entrepreneur Life is? Worth it. <laughs> that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What would you say are the top three skills needed to be a successful entrepreneur? I would say vision, willingness to take action, and to not think so highly of yourself that you don't ask for help. Very, very wise. Jessica, what would you say is the most entrepreneurial thing about you? The most entrepreneurial thing about me is my ability to take an idea and bring it to life. What is one thing that you wish you knew when you started your entrepreneurial journey that you now know? I wish I would have known how lonely it would have been. Because as we said, you know, it is, especially when you go from corporate to solopreneur, you know, all the normal built-in camaraderie, you know, the chat around, you know, the copy, et cetera, none of that exists. So you have to build that and it takes time to find the people that you resonate with, who see your vision. And until you figure that out, it's pretty lonely. Yeah, for sure. If you had an opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Oh, man. Well, I think maybe in more recent history, Eleanor Roosevelt, she's an extraordinary woman. I mean, in many ways, if you read between the lines of the history books, you know that she basically ran this country in a time (laughs) where that wasn't a thing and, um, you know, raised her own family, but was a philanthropist. And, you know, I just would love to just sit down and talk to her for a little bit. Is your personal motto? That's interesting. I guess I don't really have one (laughs) per se. I think the thing I say a lot is you've got this. Okay. That's a good one. That works. That works. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Keep showing up. You belong in the room. What is one of your biggest, and I don't like using this word, failures, we'll call it life lessons or teachable moments. And what did you learn from it? So early on, when I made the shift into helping women entrepreneurs, I kind of got sucked into the online marketing world and made a very costly, like $10,000 mistake. And it's costly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's certainly not the biggest I've heard from people, but at the time I had a, a business partner and she and I, you know, jumped into the funnel building world and all of that. And kind of got sucked into something that a, we weren't ready for and we didn't use sort of those basic skills that we had learned in corporate to really discern, you know, are we going to get what we want? Do we have a real plan here? And, you know, three months in, it became very obvious that we were never going to get the traction that they had promised. And so, you know, when I think about that from an entrepreneurial perspective, a, you know, it really sucked and it's not uncommon. Yeah. And so, you know, I have a lot of empathy for people who have had those kinds of experiences, but that experience really helped me think more strategically about what do I actually need in my business? What can I do on my own? And the importance of learning, you know, how to do things. 
that I maybe didn't know. So I'm not an advocate of, you know, DIY everything in your business. It's completely ineffective, but I do think it's important to know what you're talking about and what you actually need before you hire people. So, you know, to have at least attempted to do it on your own, I think is really important. So for me, you know, that when I look back, that was a pretty significant moment because it really made me question, do I know what I'm doing? Should I be doing this? How can I really help people if I made this kind of mistake? You know, it was costly financially, but it was also costly on a, from a confidence perspective and then recognizing that, okay, these things happen. We're not alone in this and I can use this experience to my advantage and more importantly, help other people not experience this. I think the confidence piece of that is more damaging than the financial for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because money, you can always make money. Yeah. Yes. It sucks to lose that amount of money for sure. But confidence is a very hard thing to build back up once it's been knocked down or stripped down. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Lastly, Jessica, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What would you say? I would say you have one life, make it what you want it to be, right? You have the power to do that. And only you have the power to do that. And that means you get to show up the way you want to show up. You get to live the way you want to live. And if you can make an impact in the world, all the better. Love it. Very eloquently and beautifully said. Jessica, thank you so much for being here today, for taking the time to sit down with me and share your story and your journey. This has been an absolute pleasure sitting down with you. You are a true inspiration. The work you're doing is phenomenal. I'm just, I'm so inspired by you. You are a beautiful human being and I so appreciate you. I appreciate you taking the time and I'm so happy and honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Truly, truly wonderful. (laughs) Thank you. I really appreciate it. This is a joy. And this conversation has been amazing. I've loved every minute, smiling ear to ear throughout the whole conversation. (laughs) It's been amazing. So thank you for that. Thank you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast today. My guest has been Jessica Sato. She is the founder and CEO of Jessica Sato Consulting, as well as a TEDx speaking coach. Thank you so much, Jessica. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thanks, you too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.